everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, folks, we are back from the uh, from the All-Star break. I hope everybody had a nice few days. Uh, the Mets are in Pittsburgh. Got a couple of guys coming back. Speaking of a couple of guys coming back, Steven and, uh, and Roberto Correa are back after uh, our unfortunately cut-off conversation ahead of the draft. Uh, that was a, a snafu on my part, but... Gentlemen, welcome back. We're going to discuss uh, a little bit about what to expect in the second half. We're going to go over what your thoughts on the draft were. How's everybody doing? Good, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that we didn't get to uh, hear the last half of the podcast because actually, believe it or not, I predicted all 20 picks the Mets made correctly. <laughs> all 20 of them down to pick 590-whatever. Uh, so yeah, a little bummer that that's not recorded, Tim, but... <laughs> And Roberto, what's happening, my man? Hey, man, we're doing wonderful, man. Just very excited to talk about what, what was going on and the positives of, of what we were able to do over the the past handful of days. Cool. And yeah. are you guys? Uh, I mean, this is just a generality, but I, I assume you're both pretty uh, pretty pumped for your second half. The Mets have a healthy roster. They have uh, JD Davis and Carlos Carrasco on the uh, on the turnpike to returning. How are you guys feeling on that front? Dreading it. No, I'm kidding. This is wonderful. <laughs> it's it's long overdue. It's so awesome to to be able to see Carrasco come back, and it's nice to have a bat like Davis back in either the lineup or on the bench, or whatever his role is going to be. However, they try to move him around. Uh, man, I, especially with what he's been doing in Syracuse, where he's got like four home runs or so within his rehab stint. I don't know. He went four for six the other day with like three extra base hits or something. Yeah, on fire. I think he's three sixteen with a uh, like a uh, like a twelve hundred OPS. Or, oh. no, I'm sorry, his OPS was seven thirty. Uh, his uh, his slugging was seven thirty seven over like fifty plate appearances. His numbers are looking kind of like some of the college guys we drafted. <laughs> and um, you guys have uh, Steven, Any any concerns with Stroman? He's starting on Friday. Um, hasn't been what you would call sharp over his last three. Um, I guess taking into consideration he didn't pitch last season. You're feeling all right about him going into the second half? I'm feeling great. I think he's one of those pitchers who makes adjustments very well. He's he's a very heady, intelligent guy, and I think the rest will do him good. He'll, he'll refocus and and throw like he's been throwing. I'm, I'm, he's one of the better pickups that we've had the last few years. Um, I hope we do sign him long term. I think he could be a, a mainstay in this rotation and productive well into his 30s. So, yeah, I'm not worried about him in the second half. I think he's going to be a predictable Stroman. He can generate a lot of ground balls, rely on Lindor's amazing glove over there at shortstop, something I don't think has gotten enough respect from fans or analysts throughout the game. And uh, I do think he's going to contribute. D-rating. To, uh, D rating? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <I'm> serious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I, Lindor has completely changed this infield. And, and shout out to Guillaume as well, being a steady, yeah. constant force defensively and hitting a little bit better than I think a lot of folks thought he would at the big league level, which seems to be a theme with Mets prospects drafted in rounds eight through 16 over the past 10 years or so. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, he's such a great pitcher for this defense. And I think that. Both he and David Peterson, if he makes his way back, will continue to reap benefits from having those gloves behind him. Um, how do you guys see Davis fitting into the mix at whether it's third base, whether it's seeing reps in left field, whether it's just coming off the bench as a bat? Um, how do you think that whole, I guess, rotation is going to, I guess, uh, come into play? 
I think it's going to be moving around consistently. There's going to be a lot of moving parts in this lineup, just just as it's been all year. I, I think, you know, Movillar has, has uh, kind of played his role really well. He's been really flexible and very, you know, uh, up to the challenge, no matter what that is. And I think um, kind of kind of like how you had the phrase going a while back, next man up, he, he's one of those guys with that sort of mentality where he's going to do what's asked of him. So I think you'll see plenty of time in left field, plenty of time at third base. Uh, I'd be surprised if you saw any time at first, but, uh, you know, let, let's not mark anything out, right? Right, exactly. So I, I think the versatility is huge. Steven, any ideas for how um, <laughs> Guillaume kind of fits in? Right, so that's, I, I don't know, maybe I'll just be the devil's advocate here, the dissenting opinion. Um J.D. Davis has to hit a lot to justify his glove. And I'll put right. a number out there, and it's, I don't want it to be a, a hard line in the sand by any stretch, but for me, he's got to be close to a 900 OPS, maybe 880, somewhere around there. He's got to be in that 130 WRC plus to justify somebody who will be among the league's worst at third or left field if he is out there consistently. I love the idea of rotating him around, getting guys rest, providing some versatility, bench, uh, DH when we have those games. I, I just don't want him to get overexposed in the, in the infield. And I think we have such a great thing going, <clears throat> mostly ground ball pitching staff, ground ball strikeout pitching staff, and such a good defensive infield. I think Guillaume has won that job. And until he starts slumping at the plate, um, I, I think it's his. I, I know people want J.D. Davis's bat back in the lineup for a team that struggled to score runs. I understand that, uh, that argument, but J.D. Davis really has to hit to justify it. And just to justify, like, kind of, or to rather counter what you're saying, maybe not counter, but so much as uh, provide the avenue for how it's going to happen. Um, they do still have VR and Guillaume on the team, and I think that those guys are going to be, like, the late-inning replacements. So I wouldn't be surprised if the games that Davis plays, if he's lifted in, like, the seventh inning for a defensive replacement, if they're already, I guess, well ahead in the game. But even, even if, I, I think that it wouldn't be surprising to see him out about the seventh inning in any game that he starts. Agreed. And the Mets have so many good pieces that you can do that. And that's the, the bench mob has really been such a wonderful addition to this team. It's, it doesn't feel like the Mets, right? We have, we have bench players who can perform. We have a bullpen that's doing well. We have starting pitching that is overperformed. Yeah, like, when, when, when does that ever happen? Oh, I mean, if, if, even if you go back and look at the last couple of years, I think I said it on the Apple on Thursday, uh, from 2018 to 2020, the Mets had uh, were 28th in baseball with negative 92 DRS and 22nd in baseball with negative 2.1 UZR by 150. This season, this season, they're fourth and eighth in baseball, respectively, in both. Um, do either of you feel that J.D. Davis could benefit from now the Mets are really employing more of uh, positional shifting? They're doing so more than anyone else in baseball. 55%. I think the Dodgers are next at 53%. Um, do you think that Davis could benefit from, you know, data-driven positioning? So I, I want to let Ray take this one and just before, because he won't brag about it, but Ray's been talking about this since before it became a thing. Like, I'm sure Major League teams were doing it, but uh, people weren't talking about it. It wasn't anything covered. Ray has seriously been talking about this for probably seven years so just yeah, ready take it away because i know this is like entirely your field of expertise here please do well it, it, it's kind of it's kind of difficult to say i think still with somebody like davis 
more so because we've seen how analytics has benefited certain people. Like we saw previously with Curtis Granderson, how he went from having a down season to having an up season because they changed the, the way he positioned himself and, and uh, where he starts off in the outfield. Well, we've seen the same thing similarly this year with, with Brandon Nimmo and how him playing back has actually benefited his defense. And hell, I mean, he, he stole that home run the other day and almost stole another. You know, he, it's just being in the right place at the right time is, is definitely beneficial towards anyone uh, out on the field. And while it can benefit Davis, and I think it should improve what his marks are, it is just more so the instincts, I think, in this case. And I think um, while he does get everything that, that he gets to in uh, at third base, I, I, I don't know. It's just there's, there's still a mark for concern for me. So even if he is better, I'm not going to be surprised to see him lifted late in games. I, I just don't see it changing as much as it does with other guys. It's a tough one for me. Because, like, like smart analytics can't uh, fix bad reaction time and poor physical. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it, there's only so much that you can do. And I, I do think the Mets will get a lot out of him just from being smart. But mm-hmm. he's he's just a clunky, slow-footed guy. He just, he just, just he's, he's big. He's strong. It's who he is. So, a brief note on that. Yeah, a lot of it is reaction time. And uh, I was watching a high school baseball game a while back, and and, and uh, I noticed the difference between the motion on the third baseman and the shortstop, like on a ground ball. The the, the shortstop, I had to reframe this. Like, I, I was watching it on my computer, so I was able to, to trace back. And it, it took the third baseman about a whole second after to, to react to when the shortstop was moving. And it, that kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, there could be that big of a difference between when two guys move. And... It's not the differences are not as big on the major league level, but when you have somebody like Lindor at shortstop and Davis at third base, that that difference starts to become kind of <laughs> you, you see it you see it a little bit more drastically than when someone say like Bjorn Bjorn is playing third base. Well, you know, I look at I look at Davis, and you know, you, you could look back at like I guess the bulk of his time spent at third base was probably mm-hmm. in nineteen. He actually had a positive outs above average moving towards third base. Positive going yeah. first as well. But um, see, I, I, I realize he's only had what? I, I think he's about a full season's worth of plate appearances. So, mm-hmm. you know, somewhat equatable in the field, uh, playing time in the field as well. I, I'm, well I'm, I'm, he's I'm, on the negative this season, though, isn't he? Uh, negative one total, but I, I, he hasn't played a ton of innings. In 2020, he was negative five because he had a lot of trouble going toward. Uh, moving to his left. But with with Lindor there, that might be, you know, rectified a bit. You know, I'm not, I'm not expecting miracles. I'm certainly intrigued by the potential to see his metrics improve based on positioning. And he's always had such a great arm. I mean, but this is not hyperbole, one of the best arms in all of baseball from a position player. It's an absolute cannon. So you just you want him to get that that just slightly better jump, slightly better range, because he could be a very serviceable third baseman. And the Mets obviously have a need there, especially considering what his back can do. So, yeah, I, I, the promise is there. I just, again, I, until I see it, I'm not quite going to buy that he's not going to be a liability defensively. Which, again, is okay. The team is pretty sound defensively. Other than that, 
Um, but he's going to have to hit to to justify it again. That's kind of my yeah. my I mean, whole argument kinda, there. He's kind of in that whole Mark Reynolds mold of makes an mm, amazing play comp. on occasion. Yeah. It makes an amazing play on occasion, but most of the time it's not that great. I mean, uh, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I might I have to get used to the phrase "pass the diving Davis." Oh no, please! I, that's that's giving me flashbacks. <laughs> you know what? I have the numbers here. So he, he's had 730 plate appearances uh, with the Mets. 295, 377, 3030. It's actually 30 homers, 34 doubles, and 134 weighted runs created plus. That's brilliant. That's a that's a great line. Yeah. It's okay. I, I'd like to see consistency because we all saw, I think, 2020, he only hit somewhere in the 240s. His OBP was still very high and he still um, served his purpose. But, you know, I guess a combination of a more patient hitter and the 2019 Davis that we saw. You know, that's a that's a positive for this roster, at least in my opinion. You have to kind of find ways to get it into the lineup as long as he's Absolutely. Pre- Absolutely. I, I think they're definitely going to – gonna. if I was to make a prediction, I think that he would play somewhere around like 40% of starts right now. Yeah. yeah I, I, I can see that. I can see that for sure. You know, get him 30 plate appearances every couple of weeks. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a net positive for the roster. Do you think a 40-40-20 split between Guillaume, Davis, and then uh, VR is a good somewhere is a good mix? Yeah. So maybe, somewhere maybe like that? Like a, few, a few percentage points, maybe it's like 35, 45, and then 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. You know what? I really I wouldn't mind seeing Guillaume play a little second. I wouldn't mind seeing McNeil at third sometimes. Really, whatever they have to do to kind of make this – the versatility work because it's going to make the roster deeper, especially in a season that, you know, we've seen how hard injuries can hit. Um, the more guys being comfortable playing multiple positions is probably better for the team. I mean, hopefully guys don't feel too odd playing out of position too often or changing hey. positions too often. I mean, we've seen the Guillaume's up to the task. We've seen the BRs up to the task. So, I mean, at least in the first half, these guys have impressed. So they they continue to VR hadn't played. shocking, not even impressive. No, VR hadn't played third base since what 2016, and his metrics yeah. were awful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been a very pleasant surprise. You have to find you have to find room for everybody. It's not easy, guys. We're mm-hmm. gonna take a quick break because we still have to get to draft stuff. Um, right. Let's hear from the sponsors. Uh, you know, pay the bills. It's what we do, and uh, we'll be right back. Hang tight, and welcome back. Um, as promised, I know we kind of cut that off quick, but I do want to get decent draft coverage in here. Guys, again, we spoke about it last week. I don't know much about the draft. I researched guys after the fact. Um, the Mets went very heavy on pitching. They went very heavy on college guys. Um, That's an understatement. They literally only chose one high school player. <laughs> 19 out of 20 from the college ranks. 19, 19 out, out of 20. 20. Is this a... Is this a a quick impact type of shift in in approach is this a this is just where the talent was type of thing i, I want to hear your uh your your i guess initial reactions uh yeah this is the, first, i'm sorry <laughs> this, this is all about affording one player it's the number one draft pick that the mets took i think every mets fan Heard that Kumar Rocker, who was not supposed to be around at 10, was around at 10, and the Mets didn't Mets this up. They they took him. They took the best player by far on the board. And uh, I think when we were on uh, last week, we talked about how there was a 
five to ten percent chance that one of Rocker or Job would fall. Job went number three to the Tigers, but Rocker did slip. I think they may have had some concern, the teams above us, about his signability, considering just his talent where he was supposed to go. And the Mets actually already signed him, or at least have an agreement to sign him, and they're going to pay him six million. Six million. The pick, yeah, six million. The pick value, the sl- the recommended slot that Major League Baseball gives teams for each pick was 4.7, I believe, 4.75, something like that. So the Just Mets pretty much, here's, they, they have to find that extra $1.2, $1.3 million in the rest of the draft. So for fans who are not familiar, if you go over that by a certain percent, you have to pay a fine. No one cares about that. But if you go way over, like I think 15, 10 or 15% over, you lose next year's first round draft pick and nobody wants that. It's not worth that. So pretty much what you have to do is hit that bonus allotment. Maybe go a little bit over. It's fine. It's just, they just tax you a little bit. It's Steve Cohen's Mets. Who cares without going too much over. So what you have to do is find affordable players later on. The Mets second round pick might have a couple savings, but I don't think it's going to be a ton. So that's why you see so many college players. College players have far less leverage because they can't, say, hey, I'm just going to go back to school. I mean, they can if they're a sophomore or a junior, but you don't necessarily improve your draft stock, then you get way less money when when you have zero leverage as a senior. Uh, so that's why you see so many college picks. I, I do think there's just a little bit more safety there that you're probably going to get a, a more of a known thing. But to answer your question, Tim, it's not so much about a change in approach as much as it was saying, hey, we have to find $1.3 million in the rest of the draft. You're going to do that from college players, not from high school players. Now, it's funny. I'm I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, to your point, um, the Mets actually drafted nine college seniors in this draft, including uh, our 19th rounder, Drake Osborne, who's a five-year senior, I guess, who, because of the COVID year last year, decided to take on another year of of college to be able to to get himself in this draft. Exactly. So he's going to be a $10,000 sign. And, and looking down this list, you can kind of identify who the ten dollars to $50,000 signs are going to be. And they, they are the seniors. So Kevin Kendall, nice player out of UCLA, but he's a four-year senior. Oh, yeah. You're not going to see him sign. For, the, the pick value there is $227,000. You're probably going to see him sign for twenty. dollars or so, so you're going to save two hundred thousand dollars with that pick. So, so the Mets brass when they were figuring this all out, they're going, it's it's a bunch of Excel work, right? Going like two hundred thousand there, hundred thousand there. I might be wrong here, but I, I don't think picks eleven to twenty actually count against the draft bonus. I think they're mostly going to have to either. It, it counts. Yeah. If you go over, I don't think it counts. If you go under, so um, I think Kevin Kendall was. Yeah, he was around seven, so he would he would count um, he would, for yeah. the rocker savings. Right. But yeah, you pretty much have rounds two to ten to figure that out. So if, if folks remember the Matt Allen draft, after the Mets Ooh. took um, Josh Fun. Wolf, a high schooler, and then Matt Allen, a high schooler, who they had to go way over slot to get. This is after Brett Beatty. They saved a little bit of money with Beatty, then had to go over on Wolf, way over on Allen. Then I think from rounds four to ten, they went all college seniors. For ten to fifty thousand dollars a piece, every single one of them, and that's how they're able to do it without going over. You're going to see the same thing here, except instead of reaching in the third round, they kind of just went. They blew their budget on Kumar Rocker, and why not? He's a, he's a stud. He's a superstar. So uh, it was a great pick, and they'll they'll find the savings. Uh, the Mets are the best team in baseball at doing this. Uh, they're going to do it again, and it'll be it'll be fine. Ray, um, I've heard a bunch about the advanced metrics or at least like the, the efficiency metrics of guys like uh second rounder calvin ziggler uh third rounder oh, dominic camel 
who um, <laughs> someone, I guess it was SNY, described him as a spin rate monster. Um, you know, what are these, are some of those savings going to be going to these guys or are these, are these guys also what you would consider, consider under slot? So it is under slot because someone like Ziegler. So I, I just want to make a brief note. So there are a lot of people that follow the draft and the, the way that they follow it is, you know, you're looking at um, where they're ranked, where players are ranked between say baseball, America, baseball, Prospectus, uh, MLB Pipeline, you're looking where, where these guys are are ranked among draft prospects. So say someone like Calvin Ziegler was 271 on Baseball America and 123 on, on MLB Pipeline. But the thing is that when, when scouts are looking at this, they're going to go for who they want the most. So it doesn't matter if um, some guy is like 200, 300 on, on, the, on, the, on the ranking sheet. If that's the guy that they want in this spot, that's who they're going to take. And that's evident with, with how the Mets pick this year. Because, say, someone like Christian Scott, who was a fifth rounder, Carson Seymour, right after him, they were 217 and 294. And then just after him was Kevin Kendall, who was who we just spoke about and who was ranked 195. So even though he was ranked higher and they ended up taking up all these guys, they're going to pick them where they want. Right after him, Mike Mike Vassell, another pitcher, um, was ranked 114. So the thing is, they may have all these guys on the list, but it's going to be priority based on what they need, what they believe that they want in this spot. Um, so when when it comes to guys like Ziegler and Hamill, they may be a bit underslot, but it's because maybe people hadn't seen a degree of the talent. Say, for example, Ziegler, he, he came out of Canada to come down. He played in Florida over the spring and for the rest of the season. Um, because of how strict the restrictions are right now in Canada, he, you know, that actually were like 17 players who were drafted from Canada in this draft, uh, including um, uh, the 33rd round, a uh, 33rd overall pick to the Brewers, um, Black and Tyler Black. And he's essentially the highest rated Canadian born player, but he was playing in college here in the U.S. But a lot of these names kind of go under the radar. So say someone like Ziegler or someone like Micah Bucknam, who was the top-ranked Canadian playing player in this draft and went undrafted, as a matter of fact. Um, but just guys don't know about these guys. Or or um, they're just kind of the guys that you would expect to go in later rounds. But it's funny because for someone like him, he was listed on Baseball America's Top 11 Sleepers in a recent article. And and that kind of just shows the the talent has been seen by certain guys, and it's just not everybody has had the the regional scouts, not everybody has had the guys or the eyes on this sort of thing, and it just goes to show what the Mets are doing. They're trying to they're trying to put their eyes on places where everybody else might not be looking. Well, speaking and of that, may I? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. May I add something to that, Tim? Thank you. Oh, yeah, like teams teams do not care what MLB and Baseball America and the Athletic have these players ranked. They do not care. Exactly. So, so Ziegler, I actually we don't do think Ziegler is going to be. <laughs> no, they really don't. Uh, and some teams scout similarly. And I think the Mets, being one of the, the smarter, savvier scouting teams, are probably competing very often with the Dodgers and the Rays. 
uh, for picks like Ziegler. And so I actually don't think he's going to be under slot. Uh, and if he is, it's not going to be by a lot. This very much reminds me of when the Mets took Simeon Woods Richardson in 2019. We had mm-hmm. grabbed Jared, Jared Kelnick, who I, I do think people thought was going to be under, but maybe not a ton under. Turns out he was a ton under. He was about a million under. I thought Woods Richardson was going to be under as well because it was a reach. It was very much like Ziegler. He's ranked in the hundreds and something. He was taken with the, I don't know, 48th, 49th pick. And he ended up signing for like three hundred to $400,000 over slot. Why is that if he was lo- lower ranked? Well, probably because there was a disconnect between what MLB and Baseball America thought and what these teams, who know more than we do, they really do, mm-hmm. what they thought. And if the Mets are looking at Ziegler going, hey, I know the Dodgers were scouting them, and they were going to take him later in the second round if we didn't take him here, guess what? Ziegler's getting his $1.5, $1.6 million. He's, he's, he's going to get that. I do think Hamill is going to be very much under slot because he's a senior. I think you could get him for 100000 instead of seven fifty. But and yeah, say, just um, wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, teams do not care what, what these rankings look like when they take these players. Who was the? Uh, uh, I think uh, one of you might have just brought him up. Uh, Rowdy Jordan, uh, outfielder. Oh, right. Yeah, right. he was. So a big I got to uh, SEC, right? Yeah, I got to see Rowdy Jordan play a couple times, uh, both on television and in person, uh, when he was facing off against Texas, uh, who's my local team here down in Austin. Uh, really good player, uh, reminiscent of Jake Mangum, both because he has kind of long flowing blonde hair and he manned center field for Mississippi State, just like his predecessor. And he got drafted by the Mets, not quite as early as Mangum did down the 11th round, but he's a nice player. You know, he's it, 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 most optimistically, he's a table setter, center fielder, stolen base threat at the top of the order. More likely, he's a utility outfielder, but a, a nice pick down there at, at round 11, even though he is a bit of a rival of my favorite college team. Uh, happy, a good organizational guy. You know, he's round 11 pick. If he doesn't make the big leagues, who cares? Most 11 round picks don't make the big leagues. But the, the Mets target these guys who who have good overall skills, and he's he's one of them. He's just a very nicely rounded player and was a big part of that championship team. It's kind of like we were talking about um, last week when we were able to speak to you. I don't know if this, I think this part actually got cut off, but me and Stephen were talking about how after the first handful of rounds, what you're looking for are big tools. You're looking for guys who have some yes. big talent. And uh, it, it's funny with, with Jordan, he, he's, he's a guy who was successful 25 out of 29 times in stolen base attempts. He's a guy who still hit 10 home runs despite hitting for a high average. Um, so there are some projectable tools that that are there. Do you guys? I mean, I saw I, I saw numbers. I think it was Spot Track who put them up. Um, you know what? I have it right here. I, I bookmarked it just for this. Here we uh-huh. go. Um, just I guess speaking of development, and I guess the I'm assuming teams maybe find it easier to find pitchers to fit their mold. But anyway. In the first 10 rounds of the draft, 173 pitchers were drafted, 48 outfielders, <laughs> 35 shortstops, 25 catchers, 13 third basemen, 12 second basemen, mm-hmm. and five first basemen. Um, yep. <laughs> I mean, again, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the draft. Is this normal? Is yes. When I saw five first basemen being drafted in the first 10 rounds, you know, do they really come a dime a dozen? Is that what's happening? It's not so much that, Tim. It's it's that you don't you tend not to draft 
first baseman and third baseman and closers because pe- players outgrow other position and become those. Yeah. Uh, it's the same thing with, like, y- you tend not to see teams spend a lot of draft capital on relievers. They spend them on starters who have really good fastballs and not much else, and they become closers. I mean, look at the Mets bullpen right now. How many of those guys started out as, as starters? Seth Lugo was a starter. Edwin Diaz was a starter. Uh, Robert Gazelma was a starter. I mean, th- 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 that's kind of how you build relievers. And the same, same thing often with third uh, third baseman shift to first baseman, shortstops shift to third base. So even somebody Al like Colson Montgomery, yeah, exactly. Colson Montgomery is listed as a shortstop, but I don't think anybody uh, in their right mind thinks of him as a shortstop in the future. They look at him as a third baseman. Same thing with Brady House. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of people look at Mark Vientos as a first baseman down the road, right? So it, that's why you're seeing that. Is this atypical? No. Is it this extreme? That I don't know. It might be a little extreme. I feel like there are more first basemen usually taken because you you tend to have those guys who hit 390 with 20 home runs, and they will get taken in the first 10 rounds of the draft. So it might be a little low, but is is it out of the ordinary or, or some uh, strategy shift? No, not at all. Ray. Yeah. Unless you see like an Andrew Vaughn in a draft or something. Exactly. <laughs> Who's also playing outfield for Chicago. So even there, Spencer Torkelson, who I think a lot of people thought was a first baseman, he's been holding down third very well for the Tigers So or in, the, in the minor league. So yeah, even those guys sometimes are not as pure uh, first base DH types as you think. Alec Bohm has done a lot better at third than I thought he was going to. I, I thought he was destined for first base down the road and he's, he's handling it just fine. So you never know. Um, Ray, I guess just to kind of build off that previous question, just, I guess, you know, even looking at outfielders to pitchers, it's about three and a half to one as far as pitchers to outfielders. Um, is there just a a higher potential for value coming out of the arms? Yeah, I think that's kind of the tough thing. Pitchers are at a premium right now, man. I mean, if you're going to trade for a pitcher, you're going to be trading for a high price. If you're looking to pay for a pitcher on the open market. I mean, guys Guys got bigger contracts than we were expecting over the last handful of years. I mean, uh, Juan Walker even got well, uh, roughly around $10 million for this year. And even with his injuries, just the talent that, that's there can earn a guy a contract. If a team best signing him, in the offseason, by the way. It's just yeah, the absolutely best offseason signing. Let, let's make that mark right now. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, but then also guys like... Uh, like uh, Gio Gonzalez last year, maybe got somewhere around between five and seven million, uh, despite being towards the end of his career. It's just you can never have enough pitching. And <laughs> let's say someone like the Angels proved that organ- that organizational philosophy this uh, this draft because they drafted nothing but pitchers, all twenty rounds. Wow. I don't think I've seen before. <laughs> yeah, I've never. I don't think it's happened before. I think I saw it was the first time that a team has done that. Just put and the, and, on the and we're seeing it this season too. I mean, we, we've had to go with some bullpen games that we weren't expecting to do because we didn't have um, <laughs> the right amount of stock in pitching. Even though we thought we were we were plenty deep and we were entering the year in theory, but again, baseball is pretty unpredictable, and the more you have, the better. Before we uh, before we wrap up here, do you guys have a? I guess I don't want to call him a sleeper because there's probably value in all these guys. But mm-hmm. out of that first ten rounds, or even if you want to stretch it to the first out of the whole twenty, just because you might see some some guys you like. Any um, unheralded impact makers you see in there? 
Ray, you hit this first because I I just tweeted about this actually, so I'll, I'll get mine in a second. Um, it's funny we were talking about um, Rowdy Jordan earlier. He's one of my guys. Um, I also really like um, the guy picked right after him, Jack Thomas Mold, who uh, <laughs> hit 12 home runs in 140 PAs this season. His OPS was right around 1300, and he walked more than he struck out 19 times to 14 times at 140 plate appearances. And it is that kind of eye that it seems like the Mets were going for because uh, even the pick right after that, <laughs> uh, Matt Reddick, um, he's a guy who struck out nine times in 178 at bats, but walked 26 times. A uh, guy who hit 410 in his, in his season. Um, it, it seems that, that the Mets were prioritizing guys who had good eyes that way. And I think, as that's a philosophy that I kind of agree with. When I was looking at guys like McNeil coming up, that's kind of the reason why um, I wrote an article early on when, when uh, McNeil was on the minors before he got called up about how he could be a regular like uh, utility guy on a, on a major league team. And I believed in it because of what his bat-to-ball skills were, his hand-eye coordination, his ability to see pitches. Guys like Yorme, I felt the same thing for because they make a lot of contact. They don't strike out often, and they don't swing outside of the zone. A lot of these guys are, are keeping keeping their bats in the zone when the pitch is there and outside of it when it's not. And Steven, you got any, uh, got any hot picks? You got, I know you said you tweeted about them, so now I, I did. So, yeah, I'll, I'll pretty much uh... – just recap what I tweeted, but I'll, I'll add a little bit on because, you know, Twitter has that darn character limit and everything. <laughs> Obviously, this draft is about Kumar Rocker, and we already signed him. So, like, we already won what we tried to do in this draft, which was get an impact player, and we did. Um, so, I'll give you one from from the top of the draft, kind of one from the middle, one from the bottom. Uh, at the top, I really do like the Ziegler pick. I, I didn't know a ton about him going in. Uh, what Like Ray said, he was in that sleepers article, so I kind of generally knew who he was and who was the best a Canadian player, and he has 100% spin efficiency on his fastball, which I heard was like 95 to 97, but I just read an article from his local newspaper in which he says he's been clocked as high as 99, which is just huge velocity for an 18-year-old. It's awesome to, to see. And the Mets tend to be pretty efficient at developing raw pitchers with big fastballs. We do very well with them. He, he spins a slider. He doesn't have a lot else, and his control just isn't there yet. So he's he is a project, but I really like him. Right after him, the Dominic Hamill pick, I think has the best chance past Rocker of making a big league rotation. Uh, I, I don't. He doesn't have the same upside as Rocker or Ziegler, but he he should make the back end of a rotation in his major league career. Uh, so so those those two at the top are, are both nice picks, but Ziegler is is my guy in this draft after Rocker. I do like that Kevin Kendall pick that we talked about a second ago. I think he's he's an interesting player who could hit and be versatile. Uh, but Mike Vassell, one pick after him, round eight. See, he's my middle round guy. I, I think he probably has the second best chance at making a big league rotation. And if he doesn't, he should make a big league bullpen. So, again, when, when we're looking at these later rounds, if they make the big leagues in any capacity, it's a win. Because, uh, again, most of these guys tend not to. Uh, just a, a strong arm, throws three pitches, a big guy, six foot five, uh, 225 pounds. And then my, you know, we talked about Reddy Jordan there at, at round 11. That's a nice pick. But uh, my late draft sleeper is Colby Kubitschek. Uh, because, you know, he's a Texas guy. He's a longhorn. I got to watch him this whole year. He's a strike thrower. He's not a big guy. He's six foot tall. I, I, maybe 200 pounds soaking wet. Probably more like 175, 180. 
uh, doesn't he didn't strike a lot of guys out. He walked more than he wants to, but he's got a live arm. He's up to 95. He has a really good slider. He, he, he again, not a starter, probably a reliever, not a closer either, but we're talking about the 532nd overall pick here. If he makes a big league bullpen, that should be seen as a win. And I do think he will, and I think it'll be pretty effective in short spurts in the, the middle to back end of a bullpen. So, yeah, that's I, I see all those guys making the bigs, which is would be a very successful draft. And yeah, obviously a lot can go right or wrong with any of these players, including Kumar Rocker. So it's that's what makes it so fun, right? Is you, you, you get to look back on this in 10 years and go, how could I have been so stupid? Or pat yourself on the back and go, I'm a draft of God. Take your victory lap. First, <laughs> based on what you guys just told me, how um, it's rare that you see relievers drafted high, uh, I'm just going to go just based on that alone with Keyshawn Askew, who's a oh, left-handed wow. reliever. And, uh, yep. yeah, uh, if, they felt, if they felt so highly about him to draft him in the 10th round as a reliever, I uh, yeah, I'm with it. Let's do I'm it. really curious about him because I think if this had been a couple years ago when the Lugie was a role – uh, I think he would have been drafted higher. So I think the Mets believe he can get right-handers out as well. I mean, uh, well, he's also kind of the control guy, yeah, walking less than two two per nine. Mm-hmm. And if I could just touch real quick, because you mentioned Mike Basso, he's kind of the guy yeah. that you and I always end up talking about in an organization because mm-hmm. he's a guy with a four-pitch mix, but he's like more command guy than he is power overwhelming guys. It's just being able to put his pitch where he wants it to be and his pitch being every pitch he has, you know, whether it was a guy like um, the Bill Chris Matt a couple of years ago, who's now doing pretty well out in San Diego. And just those kind of names that we always end up talking about. And yeah, so there, there are a lot of names like that in this draft. Oh, by the way, uh, just a name that I was familiar with. I was familiar with probably five or six of these names just from watching college baseball throughout the year. Uh, the Longhorns played Kansas State middle of the season and absolutely torched Carson Seymour. It was hands down his worst start <laughs> of his entire career. It was like he didn't get out of the third inning. I think he gave up seven or eight runs. They just teed off on him. Um, but he does like he throws really hard. And I think he's another guy, Tim, like he's, a, he's he was a college starter. He's almost certainly a reliever as a pro. You draft him because he's got a big fastball. He's a big guy. You can kind of dream on uh just being durable out of the bullpen he'll be fine but i just think that was funny when i when i heard the name i was like oh really <laughs> this guy <laughs> well guys i hope i can have you back uh towards the end of the summer once some of these draft picks start getting their uh dipping their toes into the professional waters um, Tim, can we schedule a draft for like eight years from today so we can do like a like a real <laughs> late post-mortem on this draft and just see where everybody's at yeah yeah i'm gonna put Market that in on the calendar just like sometime on a Thursday again, you know, around this time. <laughs> you got it, bro. All right. All right, guys. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on again. I, I do apologize for having to cut us off, but I'm actually guesting on a podcast in Chicago right now. So, hey, nice. That's really fun. Um, guys, again, thank you so much. Everyone, you know where to find us by now. Um, Steve and Ray, um, you, every, all the. It, Contact info for these guys will be, uh, or I should say social media info for these guys will be in the uh, description itself. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. All that fun stuff. Steven, Roberto, gentlemen, you guys have a great night, and um, thank you again. Thanks for having me. Thanks, sir. You too. All right, gentlemen. We'll talk to you soon.